Welcome to Boating Industry Insider, where we talk to executives, thought leaders, and movers and shakers from both inside and outside the marine industry. Now here's your host, content director and editor-in-chief, David G. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Boating Industry Insider. I'm David G, Content Director and Editor-in-Chief at Boating Industry, and your host today. Diversity, it's what lots of people are talking about, right? Well, in fact, it is one of the top recruitment goals in 2021 and beyond, presumably. But according to our guest, Martin Moore, a leadership performance expert and co-founder of Your CEO Mentor, as well as an author... He says diversity alone isn't enough. We'll find out why he says that. Welcome to the show, Marty. Hey, thanks, David. Great to be here. Yeah, we should say great to be here a second time because me a couple, I'll, 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 you don't know this. You don't need to know this, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, we did this podcast uh, earlier <laughs> and uh, ran into technical difficulties. So, so I had to reach out to uh, Marty, who is in Brisbane, Australia, and uh, say, hey, guess what? We're going to have to do it again uh, because uh, we had a technical issue on my end. So it's never happened before. And uh, I, I think it, it happened to a nice guy because he didn't make me too, uh, feel too bad about it. So. <laughs> Well, I, I know these things happen, David. It's happened to me. It happens to everyone. It happens to the best. It happens to the rest. We just go with it. Okay. I won't ask you which category you think I fit into, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it hiring, uh, seems like everybody's doing that this, these days. I imagine pretty much everybody who is listening or watching this, uh, has, if not one dozens of, of job recs open, uh, diversity, right in behind that as as a as a top buzzword both for 2021 and beyond but you contend uh, and and we're going to talk about your new book and, and some other resources that you have that that diversity doesn't really help uh the the buzzword doesn't really do much for you if you can't kind of leverage the value of it so uh just right at the outset let's unpack that it's a big thing uh and, and let's kind of start there yeah absolutely and look i think the uh, when we talk about diversity, there are two elements to it. There's diversity and then there's the inclusion element. Okay. And for me, the inclusion element is much more important. Now, the first problem is that we tend to uh, define diversity way too narrowly. So we talk about gender diversity. Uh, we talk about cultural diversity and ethnicity. Uh, but it's much, much more than that in my view. So when you're talking about uh, a corporate organisation where I came from, that was my background, you need diversity in terms of industry, in terms of functional background in terms of whether they've been a financial person or a marketing person or an operations person. Uh, we talk about diversity in terms of the size of company people have worked in because scale is different. And so you can bring all of these different experiences together and they can add extreme value to what you do in that organisation in terms of solving problems and making decisions. The trick is getting that out of people. Mm -hmm. Now, there are a bunch of really good moral reasons why we should hire for diversity, but beyond that, you're really trying to get results. And, and my book, No Bullshit Leadership, is really about reconnecting leadership with results. Now, you can't do that unless you can get the people that you have to give their best and bring that diversity to bear. You know, you, you touched on it just then, but uh, when we when we talk about diversity, there there is a couple, there are a couple of, well, there are 
a myriad of aspects to it, but, but there's the, you know, the, I don't know, lack of a better term, the, the kind of the warm and fuzzy part of it, the, the do the right thing part of it, because it is the right thing to do. And we all aspire to, to be better employees and employers, but, you know, let's face it. I mean, there, there needs to be ROI in there as well. Uh, so, you know, talk about that for a second. Yeah, well, there, there absolutely has to be. And I think um, everything we do has to be directed to creating value in some way, shape or form. Now, don't rail at me for being a, a heartless capitalist. I'm not talking just about financial results mm-hmm. and financial value. I'm talking about value in all its shapes and sizes. So, for example, you can have value delivered by creating a safer environment for your employees to work in. You can create uh, value by having uh, better compliance with regulations and statutory uh, considerations that your company has to abide by, protecting your license to operate. Uh, You can create value through better community outcomes. There's a whole range of ways you can do that. Whatever it is, as a leader, your job is to know what creates value and then to go after that as hard as you can. That's it. So part of doing that is to get the most out of the people who are with you. Now, My background uh, was that I wasn't an expert in anything in particular. I traversed multiple industries and multiple job functions and and job families uh, to become a CEO of a large energy business in Australia. And what I found on the way through was that the things that I could do were very limited compared to what I could get other people to do who had the expertise and skill and knowledge and capability. And if I could bring that out of them, then the results were stunning. So I had to learn how to do that as opposed to me trying to be a hero. And that's really valuable, right? So this is what we try and do when we leverage that diversity is to get the most we can out of everyone and to get them to put this all into the melting pot. And sometimes it's really hard, right? This is not a fun process. It's not an easy process. It's a process that is full of conflict and people rubbing, you know, bumping heads together and going through this process of discovery and wrestling with issues because that's what you want when you bring out different viewpoints. Uh, A high-performing team isn't one where everyone gets on really well and loves each other. It's one where they robustly challenge each other to get better outcomes. I want to segue to what we're hearing and reading about all the time in the U.S. here, uh, the big quit. People uh, last month um, quit their their jobs at two and a half times the rate of a, a year ago. So... One of the the things that that common that were, were commonalities that we're hearing through that is that they simply didn't feel valued by their employer, and they had choices, they had options, and they chose to exercise those choices and options with their feet by uh, by walking. So, uh, are you seeing that in Australia, and and what do you attribute? that too. Yeah. And this is, I I think the jury's still out on this one, David. It's a, it's a very complex issue and there are many drivers for it. Um, I have a few hypotheses about the sorts of things that might be going on. So for a start, uh, whereas it's quite easy to work from home and we've learned that over the last 12 or 18 months, it's much more difficult to lead from home. And uh, I don't think that, you know, what constitutes good leadership has actually changed. If you're, if you're a great leader in 2019, those exact same skills are going to hold you in good stead in 2022 and 2025. That's not different. But you've got to pay attention to some different things. So, for example, um, we've just uh, recorded a new masterclass on how to lead from home. And we've, we, we narrow down and home in on three areas that we think are different. The first one is communication. And communication has to be done differently now that you're not just face-to-face with someone sitting in the same space as them. You've got to do things slightly differently. And when you do get face-to-face, you've got to make those opportunities really count. 
because I'm a firm believer in the fact that you do need to, at times, have someone next to you, see their energy, feel where they are, see those little nuances of facial expression that change when you say something. You've got to be close to them for that. Uh, the second area we looked at was talent and the uh, identification and development of talent and, of course, retention when we talk about the big quit. Uh, uh, that's different. You have to do that differently as a leader because you can't see what's going on. It's not right next to you. You can see the what because we've got the transactional stuff of allocating workout and seeing whether or not the work's completed, but we don't see as much of the how. And so when you're talking about growing talent, you've got to see the how. Um, and the third area that we look at is the whole area of motivation and culture and how you can grow a culture because there are, you know, obviously many different cultures in every company, but now that we have people sitting all around, you know, the country, arguably, um, every living room is different. Every, every individual culture is different. And so you're not managing a dominant culture anymore. You're managing dozens or maybe even hundreds of cultures. And that's tricky. So, um, so I, I think the big quit, if I can just bring that back is really a reaction by people saying, I'm not going to put up with crap leadership anymore. I, I, I'm not going to let you get away with it. In the past you could, now you can't. And I have options. Now, ironically, I don't think this is going to take people very far because really? there aren't there aren't a, a massive cachet of great leaders just waiting for you in another organisation. I think you you know you wherever you go you're going to be in a similar sort of situation. But it does um, I think point to the developing unrest that we have and our lack of willingness to subject ourselves to stuff today that uh, we we would have happily done a year or two ago. Let's talk about that. Uh- you know, that absence of, of good leadership ac- across organizations. Uh, I imagine it's, a, you know, kind of a, a global omnipresent thing, uh, not refined to or not confined to any one industry or area or country or uh, anything like that. What are some of the, the most common when you're a CEO mentor, you have an organization uh, that deals with, with leadership skills, developing leadership skills, the masterclass podcast, a, a book, all of those things that, that we've referenced. What do you see? Is there some, some low hanging fruit that, that everybody can do to become a better leader? And, and what are some of the most common things that you see pretty much worldwide across all organizations that that leaders just don't get right yes um i think there are some common trends and i think where i started putting this framework together for um the practical tools that are actually going to help anyone develop their leadership to become better i started looking at the other side to say hang on what are the biggest problems here what are the common issues that i see a lot of leaders face Mm -hmm. um Uh, One of the key ones, of course, being the uh, inability to handle and the avoidance of conflict. Mm -hmm. And that's extraordinarily common. We all have it inside of us. We all have a a DNA-driven need for acceptance and affiliation. And uh, to overcome that in a way that says, I will choose to put respect before popularity, that's a hard thing to do. And it's not something that comes without dedication and, and forming good habits and being committed to actually doing that and going on that journey. Uh, and it takes years. Um, as I say to people, you know, even having those little one-on-one conversations with your team members, they're hard. But don't worry, it's only the first two or 300 that are tricky. After that, it becomes really <laughs> easy, right? Um, it's just, you know, yeah. it's like skiing, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're used to skiing in, you know, pretty light conditions and you drop yourself in, you know, 
two or three feet of fresh powder in Colorado, you're not going to know how to do it right. And it doesn't matter what anyone tells you about the techniques to use or anything else. You just got to do it enough until it starts to feel comfortable. And, and you'll spend a lot of time digging snow out of, you know, your facial orifices. And then eventually you'll just go down a slope and you go, hey, that was all right. That felt good. You know, <laughs> you just got to do enough until it feels comfortable. So um, the conflict is one of those pieces. Uh, another piece is um, uh, the resilient side of things. How do you react when you're under extreme pressure, when you're in crisis? And of course, we've seen many leaders fail that test in the last 12 or 18 months, and we've seen some leaders come through with fine colours. Um, there's the very, very common mistake of not working at the right level. <laughs> so every every level in an organisation has a unique purpose. If it doesn't, it shouldn't be there. It becomes just a cost overhead with no purpose. So at every level, you've got to think about doing your job rather than doing the jobs of the people in your team. But what we instinctively tend to do when someone's not performing is to roll our sleeves up and get in there and do it for them, which is okay because you get a result, but then the next time you're going to have to do the same thing and the next time and the next time. And you teach your people that if they don't want to do their job, you'll do it for them. And as long as you're doing their job, you're not doing your job. And so it, it just, you know, the motivation of the team um, uh, uh, is is uh, diluted. Your ability to lead is is diluted. Your workload increases. This is why you have so many workaholic bosses, and that is the perfect rationalisation and excuse for not doing the leadership work, mm-hmm. which is facing into the conflicts, making difficult decisions, taking risks that you'd rather not take, and so forth. So it gives you the perfect opportunity to say, "I'm too busy for that." It's not important. I'm doing this busy work. So it's a it's a quite a complex set of dynamics, but the solutions are relatively simple, right? You need to learn to handle conflict. You need to build resilience. You need to work at the right level. You need to master ambiguity. Like these things are fundamental to your leadership toolkit. Now, having said all of that, <laughs> why aren't there more leaders who do this? Yeah. Uh, uh, the only thing I can come up with from my observation experience over the years is they don't have to. They get away with it because there are a lot of people who are incredibly intelligent, well-educated, experienced and capable. And you can rely on those things almost exclusively. You don't need to be a great leader to do that and to make uh, a successful foray up the, up the ladder of an organisation. The difference is... What you leave behind you is a very underutilized resource, which is your people. And given that's one of the, on, in most companies, it's one of the biggest costs, you know, on the PL is is the people. Um, you can't afford to have that underutilized. So I'm all about the leadership side of that. Great leaders are born, not made, will versus skill. Where do you stand on that topic of, uh, can you, could you make a, a great leader out of virtually anyone or is, are there some things in our DNA that we just have to possess to, to become good leaders? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And um, if it wasn't so early in the morning here, I'd join you with a glass of red for that one, David. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, one, of those, it's one of those philosophical after-dinner conversations. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I would say, though, look, I believe that um, uh, there is a mix of nature and nurture. And uh, obviously, I think some people are more, people are more predisposed 
to um, being leaders as such that they are more willing to take on the mantle of accountability. They're more willing to step in and take control of a situation. So there are people who just by their by their nature are like that. Now, that probably comes in their early upbringing, what they learned from their parents through osmosis, a whole range of things like that. What I will say, though, is that anyone can become a better leader and anyone can become a really good leader by doing things that are disciplines and habits and making the right choices. So we make we make little micro choices every day. Right, exactly. Um, what, what, am, what am I going to do with my time here? Am I going to, um, you know, do some work or am I going to Google the interweb? You know, I mean, like I've got choices. Am I going to watch another Netflix episode? Um, we, we make choices about what we eat and whether we exercise. We make all these choices every day. And all these little micro decisions add up to who we are eventually. Do we really understand uh, enough about diversity to to be able to tackle it? Does it does it mean so many things to so many different people that it that it's it's hard to even use uh, you know uh, uh, across people? Uh, let's talk a little bit about that big broad word of of diversity and, and our understanding of it. Yeah, it's a look. It's a great question because diversity is perceived differently by almost everyone who utters the word. Right? Um, as I said earlier on, I think I have a much broader view of what diversity is than most. So I'm I'm, I'm going beyond you know gender, ethnicity, and sexual orientation. Right? Um, those things are important, and those are the visible ones, and those are the ones that the board looks at statistics about. So they want to see how your gender numbers are. And, and, you know, boards are saying, yes, we'll make it a more inclusive workplace, we'll, we'll increase our numbers of females in senior management positions or whatever the case may be, and they direct the organisation, the CEO, to go after those. Now, what you read on those statistics may or may, may not be of any use. Um, I think it's cruel to promote someone who's not ready for promotion, uh, be they male, female, you know, white, black, yellow, red, it doesn't matter. You promote someone who's not ready for that promotion and you're doing them a disservice. So there can be unintended consequences by the same token. I think we've been playing with a playing field that's not been level for a lot of years. And so there's a need to do something about it. So these these are complex issues. They're not, they're not simple. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I, I mean, just on the diversity side, I, I really have a genuine belief that value comes from diversity. It does. Um, I don't need to understand necessarily someone's background and journey and story to know that they have a different perspective that can offer value because we haven't thought of that. Right. And there's there's no such thing as a stupid idea genuinely because some of the people who I've most underestimated in terms of their ability to contribute something valuable have come out with something that's just been pure genius when I've least expected it. So I've sort of seen the power of that and through my own ego and arrogance, I've had to put that aside and say, well, hang on a minute, this person that I didn't rate as being someone who could contribute has just come up with something that's really changed my mind on it. And and when you get a couple of those moments, if you're open to them, it really changes how you look at the whole diversity thing. Mm-hmm. Where do you, I mean, we've got the work from home, we've got hybrid, we've got, you know, uh, I'm looking at a Washington Post article, uh, companies going back to work. It's awesome. It's awkward. It's why am I doing here? You know, uh, I'm, I'm emailing the person down the hall like I used to, and, and I'm Zooming with someone, you know, uh, in the same building. And, and why am I even sitting here anymore? Uh, you know, just all this stuff is just, is, is, is percolating and and 
you know, everybody's trying to figure out what the office place of, uh, or the office or the boat dealership or whatever uh, retail establishment of tomorrow looks like. Where do you, and uh, not to put you on the spot too much, but I mean, where are we going with, with the workplace? Uh, what will the, the workplace of the future look like in a year or three or five, or is that absolutely an impossible answer to, uh, to try to articulate? No, no, look, I, I think I have a view on that, David. I think um, when we start thinking about how organisations are going to uh, equip themselves for the future, I think there's a couple of trends. Of course, there's the mm. trend of increased technology penetration. So right. we've seen how much more we can do with technology and we're less afraid of that. Right. Now, classic example, right? To get um, an organisation like um, I've got a large mining company uh, in the back of my head who was trialling for a year and a half they were trialling the technology that would enable people to work remotely mm-hmm. and how they'd set up all the security and all the protocols around that so that it was going to be secure and safe and everything else. A year and a half, they undertook this project. This is a large global mining company. Mm-hmm. Yet when all of the lockdown started in the coronavirus pandemic in March of last year, they solved the problem in two weeks and everyone was working from home. Now, you know, you can you can spend your time perfecting something, <laughs> dotting the I's, crossing the T's, making sure that everything's going to be perfect and all the security is in place. But when necessity comes, you will react and you will respond. So I think we've been through that phase. For sure, there's going to be some tidy up on that. Uh, we will have got a bunch of stuff wrong, but we've kept moving, which is great, and we've got results, which is great. And now we're going to have a chance to sort of stand back and say, right, let's look back on this and just see what we want to do with it all. So the technology trend, I think that's going to be much more prevalent. Yes, we'll use a lot more technology. Um, I use an example in the book. Uh, Not too many years ago, maybe five years ago, I had to have a meeting in London with the CEO of a large mining company. I flew from Brisbane, Australia to London, England, had the meeting and flew back 32 hours each way. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a very, very important meeting. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) And nothing says I'm serious more than getting on a plane and flying halfway around the world. But by the same token, if I had to do that today, would I I get on a plane and do that? Absolutely not. Hmm. Absolutely not. We'd have we'd have a Zoom call. I'd say, "Hey, David, I wish I could be there with you, but clearly, you know," <laughs> um, and and I'd do that completely differently. So this yeah. is the sort of way we're going to rethink how we do business. I think we're going to end up with a hybrid model in terms of people going into offices and places of work. Some things can't be done remotely. Uh, if I'm a, a mechanical engineer right. in a, a power station, I've sort of got to turn up. I can't wield my spanner from you know, 100 kilometres away, 200 miles away or whatever. Um, But for the most part, there's going to be a combination of, okay, you don't need to come in here every day, but we do need you in here at certain times. And when we have you in here, we've got to make that productive. We've got to to make it important that what you do while you're here is the stuff that needs to be done in person, not just an extension of what you would have done at home anyway, because people will just go, well, what am I even in here for? You know, I could do this from home. CEOs are going to have to think about that. So we've got some CEOs in the financial sector uh, in the US already saying, come back to work or piss off and find another job. (laughs) We're we're getting getting some saying, okay, fair enough. If that's the organisation you want to run, that will develop a certain culture and way of doing things. And the people who are uh, happy with that will will be attracted to it. Uh, And of course, the financial rewards are there. Others are saying, we're doing away with offices. You can all work from home. We never need to see you. I think that's a massive mistake. Um, because because unless you have some touch points, you're not going to be able to see talent and culture the same way. 
and and over time that will degrade the capability in your organisation. So I think we're going to arrive at a happy medium somewhere. Where that is, I don't know. For every company and for every industry, that's going to be different. But there will be a rethink and there will be um, an acclimatisation through things like the big quit, <laughs> where where people are going to work out for themselves where that where that happy middle ground is. Well, as we've already talked about, there is a, a, a dearth of, of good leadership uh, across the the country and across the world. And, and as much as technology makes so many things easier, unfortunately, it doesn't make good leadership necessarily easier, does it? No, not at all. Not in, in, It makes it tougher. Um, and uh, the things that you uh, do as a, as a really good leader, you need to do and even pay more attention to. So you need to refine and hone your skills even more. So if you, if you were caught on the hop there and you were leading through a command and control style, uh, you'll really struggle to catch up. You really will. A couple of resources here. So uh, your CEO mentor is your website. You have uh, the podcast, which is? No Bullshit Leadership. And the book also? And the, the book of the same name, same no name? Leadership, uh, Martin G. Moore, uh, yeah. it's being published under, uh, released on August the 31st through okay. Rosetta Books, uh, Simon & Schuster in the US. If you go to my website, martingmore.com, uh, you can pre-order the book there. We've got yeah. heaps of bonuses coming through for the pre-orders. And on the CEO mentor site, uh, I've already uh, looked in and some great resources there, including that that free masterclass. Uh, that, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, some really good stuff there. So Martin Moore, again, thanks for, uh, you know, for being with us. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, wow, uh, let's keep in touch. Uh, we are we are in a fast, iterating, evolving world. And uh, uh, I'll be fascinated to, to continue to get your take on it. Yeah, thanks, David. It's been a real pleasure joining you. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, and we will see you on the water. So long. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Boating Industry Insider. We'd love your feedback, or let us know if you have any ideas for future episodes. Happy boating. Happy boating.